What's up, sports fans? My name is Lucas Weiss, host of the Weiss Sports Chronicles podcast. Happy New Year. I hope it's a healthy and happy one for you as we head into 2021. As we start the Weiss Sports Chronicles podcast off this year, we have two fantastic guests for you as we get set for the CFP National Championship on Monday night between Alabama and Ohio State. First up, we have Brett McMurphy of Stadium Network, followed by Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports. Both guys, I chat about this matchup and how Ohio State can keep this close with Alabama. Alabama's historic offense, Devontae Smith, Justin Fields and his epic performance for the Buckeyes, and Trey Sermon and how he's been an incredible running back for Ohio State as well as Najee Harris, the running back for Alabama. The Wii Sports Chronicles podcast is available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. So make sure to like, rate, watch, and subscribe to all three of those channels. Now, without further ado, let's get to today's episode with Brett McMurphy of Stadium Network and Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports, breaking down the national championship game on the Wii Sports Chronicles podcast. All right, as I said off the top... On this special national championship edition of the Wii Sports Chronicles podcast, I'm pleased to be joined by Brett McMurphy. He is America's own college football insider now at Stadium Network. Brett, uh, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Hey, good. Thanks for having me on. No worries. It's my pleasure. Well, listen, we're we're only now a few days away from the national championship game between Alabama and Ohio State. Before we get into the matchup, maybe if you could just comment on just this season, covering this season really unlike any other, and the fact that we're here right now, almost about to play a national championship game is truly uh, remarkable given the fact that we're living through a global pandemic. Yeah, I mean, this summer, it, it looked like we may not have college football. Um, you know, the commissioners, the athletic directors, you know, certainly they were sending out a lot of messages and concerns about, well, if we can't have fans in the stands, maybe we should play well. If, if the entire student body can't be on campus, the whole semester, then maybe we shouldn't be playing. And, you know, thankfully for college football, they, they adjusted uh, on those things, and we ended up having a season. But we certainly, yeah, like like any other that I've experienced, you know, it, I guess from my point specifically, it's, it was you had literally a week or two weeks' worth of news that you would have had in 2019 literally happened three or four times a day uh, <laughs> during 2020 with, with games being canceled, with conferences canceling, starting back up, players opting out, games being moved, um, you know, you name it. And that's, that's even before we get to the coaching carousel and, and all that stuff. We had bowl games. Uh, I think a third of the bowl games ended up being canceled. Um, so yeah, it, it was just crazy. I mean, you, I literally could not put my phone down or get away from my computer for more than a minute um, because you, if you came back on, you're like, oh wow, God, these three things, insignificant things, just happened. Uh, so certainly, hopefully, you know, next year things return to normal. 
2021. Obviously, you're covering the national championship and, and you've covered several national championships throughout your career. And, and one of the major differences is the fact that all of the media availabilities aren't in person. They're, they're over Zoom calls. I'm just curious how challenging is that as a reporter to, to be able to craft really compelling stories and how important are the relationships that you've built over your career in college football to be able to cover this national championship? Well, it's, you know, not only specifically the championship, but just everything in general. Um, you know, certainly if you have relationships with individuals and you can give them a call, you can text them and get them and, and try to get, you know, whatever you're, you're looking to obtain information-wise or color-wise or background information, whatever it is. Um, as far as specifically covering the, the championship or the semifinals, um, literally there's no advantage to being on site compared to um, being halfway across the country because none of the players or coaches are available except through Zoom. So that's one of the things, um, you know, it's unfortunate, I understand why, um, but you like to be able to, to talk to people one-on-one um, in person. You can have obviously follow-up questions, you can... Um, you know, there's sources or individuals that you talk to. Um, you know, you can get more information out of them. There's more of a give and take. Uh, you know, it's just like any regular conversation. Would you rather be doing it in person or doing it over, you know, some antiseptic Zoom call? And so I think that's one of the, the biggest challenges. And when I was talking with, with bowl people earlier this year about, you know, hey, I'm considering coming to your game or covering this or whatever, and, I mean, they were honest with with me they're like you know look you're going to get the same kind of access from from home or from your office that you are here at the game the only difference is you're not going to see the game in person um so you know i understand why with covid and everything so um you know again just another another difference with 2020 and hopefully um you know we'll be back to normal uh, next year and that includes the fans in the stands when you look at this matchup Alabama, Ohio State. We'll start with Alabama. Obviously, last night, uh, as we're recording this, Devontae Smith wins the Heisman, becomes the first wide receiver since 1991 to win the award. And, Brett, of course, we saw Devontae as a true freshman in that classic championship game a couple years ago with that game ceiling touchdown catch. From your experiences, I mean, how how has he grown as a wide receiver and I just think what's remarkable about his story is like the fact that he's not a tall guy but he's been able to sort of conquer that adversity and and overcome the doubt that he's had through his stellar play yeah he's not big you know the slim reaper one of his nicknames uh, you know he's just so athletic um you know and I think you know, I think of the LSU game. He had a catch in the back of the end zone, and you know, CBS put up a graph. I think it was CBS um, put up a graphic, <laughs> basically showed how high he jumped, and he's basically jumping higher than a basketball goal to make that catch. And I think that kind of put, put it in perspective. Like, oh my God, this guy is in what, such a freak. And then I think he has benefited so much from this year 
you know, Steve Sarkeesian, Alabama's offensive coordinator, you know, the next coach at Texas, has done an incredible job just getting him in open spaces, whether it's um, swinging out of the backfield, whether it's a little out route, you know, or, you know, just sending him deep. I mean, whatever the situation is, he gets him in space, and then once, once Smith is in space, he's been uh, unstoppable, and that's obviously, um, you know, showed by, uh, you know, becoming the first wide receiver since 91, the first non-quarterback and non-running back since 1997 to win the Heisman. And, uh, you know, he's just, he's done an incredible job, and it just shows, you know, that you don't have to be the biggest, you don't have to be the strongest, uh, you don't have to be the fastest, and you can still succeed, and that's certainly what he's shown this year. Yeah, and, and we certainly saw in the Rose Bowl him being able to run, run routes with speed, make those athletic vertical catches as well as block as well. I know that John Mechie III, I think, had a 40-yard reception in the second half. And you can see Devontae block as Mechie was running. So you can clearly see him do a lot of things on the field, particularly offensively. But I think another thing too, Brett, is it just speaks to Nick Saban and, and, and just this program that a few years back, this is an Alabama defense that, that, that was the talk of the town, just how vaunted the defense was, how many you know draft picks went to the NFL, but now it's the offense, and it's just amazing how Nick Saban's sort of been able to evolve as a coach and, and turning the program into sort of how college football is turning into where it's all about the explosive offense, and that's what's going to get you to a national championship game. Yeah, and I think um, I think Lane Kiffin deserves some of the credit um, because he kind of he kind of convinced Saban that you know look the, the, the future of the game is you know you can't it's great to have your running back and your, your massive offensive line and be able to grind grind out games and, and rely on your defense, but the game's changing and uh, you know we saw you know, how much trouble Alabama had facing up-tempo teams in the past. I mean, he freeze one back-to-back games against against Alabama. Probably should have beat them three in a row. Um, you know, A&M with, with Johnny Manziel. So they, they had some issues over the past several years with teams that ran that style of play. And then I think when Kiffin came on board, Kiffin kind of, you know, kind of showed Saban, you know, look, we can, we can also – we can – do what you want to do running the ball, but look, we've got all these wide receivers, we've got these quarterbacks, we've got these running backs, we can take advantage of that and play our brand at up-tempo too, spread the field out more, and obviously that has totally changed what Alabama's done. And now you look at what Sark's done the last two years, it's just the, the best, you know, I mean, look, they had four guys taken in the top 15 picks of last year's NFL draft, all they do is replace them, and then this year they set the school record for the best offense uh, in the history of the school, and that's playing an, an SEC-only schedule. I mean, you can, we can, you know, on another call debate whether the SEC, how strong they are or not, but certainly SEC opponents are better than, you know, playing the, the, the schedule that Alabama plays in the non-conference, except for that one big non-conference game. The rest of the non-conference schedule was pretty weak, so... They face tougher competition. They've done it for more weeks, and um, they put up record numbers. 
so you know Saban obviously gets gets a great deal of credit for deciding that this is the route to go. Um, but also, you know, I think Kiffin helped you know nudge him along the way and, and you know kind of show him the light that hey, this is kind of the this is kind of the future of the sport. This is what what you need to do. Another piece of this Alabama offense that I find fascinating is Najee Harrison. And we, of course, saw in the Rose Bowl the hurdle, which went viral on social media. He's been doing the hurdle throughout his entire college career. And I Nick Saban touched on it in a media availability this week where he was asked about the importance of staying another year. And Coach Saban talked about how it increases the value of the player, hopefully, going into next year's draft. And I'm just curious, Brett, when you look at Najee Harris, do you think what he, the decision to stay with Alabama for an extra year, has paid off for him? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the thing is with the running back, it's a little bit different than than a wide receiver back because you know, for running back, it's it's you know, kind of like a tire. You know, you got you know, you got so much. Uh, you know, life on that tire until it starts, until uh, it's time to be replaced. So you only have so much wear and tear on a running back um, just because the, de- the demand for the position is so physical. Um, but yeah, certainly what, what Harris has done has, has helped him tremendously and then that'll pay off. Um, you know, it's it's impossible to say, well, we have automatically, if, um, you know, where would he have been drafted if he wouldn't have had the extra year? Uh, you know, that's that's anybody's guess. But certainly, I think it's paid off. And uh, you know, it's funny when he did the the, uh, the hurdle. Saban said, "You know, I always tell him, you know, hey, you should do those things." Um, but I guess uh, I guess he didn't listen. Um, you know, he, I mean, it's one thing to see somebody hurdle a guy who goes for your ankles, but when you hurdle somebody that is basically just standing there. Um, they, he did dip a little bit, but uh, just shows the incredible athleticism uh, that Harris, Harris has, and obviously will pay off for him big time at the next level. Obviously, one of the big I mean, matchups to look at in this game is just you know how how does the Ohio State defense handle this explosive Alabama offense, where whether it's the secondary hit handling the entire receivers, but I also think the Ohio State interior defense I think needs to be given more attention because we saw what they did against Clemson stopping the run. I think they, Clemson only had 44 yards for the entire Sugar Bowl. So how important do you think, Brett, is that interior defense in being able to slow down Alabama in the championship game? Well, I think the key, I think the key for the game is, is going to be can Ohio State slow down Alabama's offense? And, you know, Ohio State is ranks 93rd out of 127 teams as far as opponent's completion percentage. And that's not very that's not very encouraging when you're facing Mac Jones, who leads the country in completion percentage and quarterback rating and in touchdown to interception ratio. So I, I just wonder if Ohio State's going to be able to slow down Alabama's offense and, you know, 
oh, by the way, it looks like Jalen Waddle is going to be able to play in the game. He's been out since October, since fracturing his ankle against Tennessee. So it's going to be the biggest challenge for Ohio State. Obviously, Ohio State did a great job against against Trevor Lawrence and Clemson. Um, but you just look at Ohio State the entire season, and they've been inconsistent. And, you know, maybe part of that's because they've only played five games. They had three regular season games canceled. They haven't played as much. They haven't had as much time to work um, work on on things like, you know, other teams that have played more games. That doesn't mean I'm not saying they're not deserving to be in the game. I think they are. I'm just saying that could be a challenge. And I guess kind of one thing, It's maybe it's not fair to point out one specific game, but, you know, Michael Penix of Indiana threw a for 487 yards against the Buckeyes, Ohio State won 42-35. Well, if Michael Penix can throw for nearly 500 on the Buckeyes, Alabama's offense is light years <laughs> ahead of Indiana. No offense to Tom Allen and the Hoosiers. So what is Ohio State going to do against this Alabama offense? And I think that's going to be the big key for the game. And this, if you know, I think Ohio State's going to be able to put up points. Um, but they've got to be able to stop Alabama. They've got to be able to break serve. Um, and if they can get a couple of stops, then I think they've got a shot. And, um, you know, if, if they can't, then it's going to look like the Ole Miss-Alabama uh, game where both teams just couldn't stop each other. Alabama finally got a couple stops, but it's going to be, you know, we're going to see, you know, a total into the hundreds. I know that sounds crazy, but I don't think Ohio State's going to play slow. I think I think they're going to want to play play quick, take advantage of Justin Fields' athleticism, and obviously what Sermon's been doing running the ball. Um, but I guess going back to your initial question, I I just think the key for for the entire game is how does Ohio State fare defensively against an Alabama offense that, quite frankly, nobody has has really stopped. I think Alabama stops itself. They scored 35 or more points in three of their last four games by halftime. And then in the second half, they take their foot off the pedal because they've got another game coming up and Saban doesn't like to run up the scores. Will this be a different situation in the championship game? I'm not saying he's going to try to run up the score, but I'm I'm just saying there's no reason to go into a shell in the second half if you're up. If you're up big, um, one, it's a national championship. And two, it's Sark's final game. And I'm sure he's going to want to, you know, put up some points in his final game as offensive coordinator and, you know, kind of show what he can do now that Texas recruits are going to be looking at him a lot more closely. Yeah, and, and, and I ain't going into the Sugar Bowl. Those were the questions about Ohio State. They had, you know, struggled against Indiana Northwestern, barely winning those games. And I think that motivated Justin Fields and that team. I mean, Justin Fields said it in his media availability leading up to the Sugar Bowl, after the Sugar Bowl, that he was preparing differently, that he was motivated by what people were saying, and it clearly showed in that performance. Of course, Justin Fields is going to be you know someone to look at to see can he follow up that epic performance that he had in the Sugar Bowl in the championship game. But I'm looking at Brett to Trey Sermon and what Trey Sermon has done. The last couple of games, very eerily similar to what Ezekiel Elliott did back in, in, in the 2014 season when the Ohio State Buckeyes went on to, to win the national championship. So 
how big will, will Trey be in this game, particularly in, in, in allowing the Ohio State offense to, to function the way they want to, but also for the Alabama defense to try to make this a one-dimensional game? Yeah, I mean, he's obviously, that's going to be a key. I mean, you know, the last two games, 530 yards rushing. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. <laughs> um, you know, 300 against Northwestern and then, you know, two, whatever uh, whatever he put up against Clemson. But, yeah, he, he has just been incredible, and he's come on, and he's hot at the right time, and I think that's big for Ohio State. Um, because, you know, you mentioned Justin Fields. And I, I think a big part, not only for Fields, but for the entire Ohio, Ohio State team, is they, there was just so much emphasis put on this Clemson game because of what happened in the, in the, in the semifinal last year. They, they felt like they should have won. They, they probably should have. They outgained Clemson. Uh, the Fields threw a pick there towards the end of the game, and, and Clemson won. But the fact that they had the, the score on the video board in the locker room you know, all the time, reminding them of the final score. And then Dabo, that's a little fire by voting them 11th in the coaches' poll. So it's like they they were laser-focused on that game and for Clemson, and they, they showed it, playing their best game of the year. Um, and now the question is, can you do that again? I, I'm not by any means saying that they're going to show up flat, but I do think it's, it's, it's hard to replicate that type of performance, whether you're Ohio State, whether you're Alabama, no matter who you are. Um, and so that's going to be a big challenge for Ohio State is to have the same kind of um, energy and performance against Alabama that they had against Clemson because there aren't yeah, – you're playing for the national championship, but there, are, there also are not all of those other um, – you know, side items for motivation that Clemson provided, whether, you know, voting them in the poll and those sort of things. I mean, Nick Saban's not going to say, give them any bullets and board material. Although his, although his daughter, you know, tweeted something uh, yesterday and then deleted it, questioning if Ohio State really has COVID or if they just are scared to play Alabama. But, you know, look, it, it's, it's going to be a challenge. And for for the offense, I think Fields' inconsistency is going to be the biggest thing. I mean, he's been all over the map. I mean, he was a he was one of the top three Heisman favorites earlier in the year, and then he had some you know, incredible opening game, and then he kind of came back to earth a couple weeks later, and then you know he threw a couple picks, uh, you know, against Northwestern. Obviously, Sermon, you know, as I said, rushed for three hundred, so they didn't need him, um, but they're going to need him in this game. Um, and then the unknown about the, the rib injury and Ryan Day said the other day that, yeah, he's going to play. Um, but they have not really elaborated on specifically what the injury is or how serious it is. And, you know, look, if I was Ohio State, I wouldn't really say any details either. Um, but there's a, ch- there's a chance he may not be a hundred percent. And so that makes it a, an even bigger challenge for an Ohio State offense going against Alabama. And again, look, Alabama, this is not the, I'm dating myself here, this is not the 85 Bears defense. Yeah. Um, for anybody old enough to remember that. But the, as efficient as their offense is that we talked about a little bit earlier, you, you've got to match Alabama score for score. And if you don't, you're, you're down two scores before you know it. So that puts a lot of pressure on the offense, on Justin Fields, on Sermon, 
Um, you know, does Ryan Day, uh, does that change his play calling, knowing that, you know, look, we're going to have to score, we know we're going to have to score a ton of points to stay in this game. Um, but, you know, it, it, it makes for a fascinating matchup. At least I hope it is. I hope it's not a, a blowout or a boring game. But I, I do think we're going to see a ton of points um, by both sides. Last question for you, Brett, and don't worry, it's not a prediction of the game. But, uh, you know, you, you know, you look at both of these programs, obviously historic programs, going for another national championship. But given what the season was and the challenges just to even complete the season, what does a championship win mean regardless of the team that wins? Well, it's obviously huge for the team that wins. I mean, you know, for Ohio State, it would be their first national title since 2014 when they beat Alabama in the semis. Um, and for Saban, it gives him a seventh national title, the most of any college football coach. It gives him six at Alabama, Tommy, the six that Bill Bryant won in Alabama. Um, so, you know, look, whoever wins this is the national champ. I don't, there's nobody, you, you can't say, oh, Coastal Carolina should have been in the playoff. I mean, I think we've we've seen how the bowls played out. We saw that you know the the Pac-12 only had two teams in the bowls. I mean, you know, the group Cincinnati was the best group of five. They they didn't beat Georgia. So I don't I don't think we've got anybody out there where we can say, well, this team got screwed. They should have played in the game. So whoever wins is the definitive national champion. I do think, however, the entire season have a big asterisk on it because you know you've got so many players that had opted out you had so many games that were canceled you had teams playing with you know 40 scholarship players some weeks um you know all of these streaks as far as consecutive bowl trips consecutive winning or losing seasons whatever they are don't even count this season um you know uh, penn state first losing season i think 18 years for me i, I wouldn't count it um, you know, because you didn't play a full schedule. Um, but as far as the national champions, yeah, they. I don't think there's an asterisk for the national championship. I just kind of think for the overall season, um, you know, when you're kind of looking at overall records or performances by conferences, you know, I kind of take it with a grain of salt because everybody was not on equal footing. You had, you had conferences starting months before other conferences played. You had teams, Rice, was in Conference USA. They, I think, their first game. I can't remember off. I've got. I didn't, could look it up. But whoever they played their first, their season opener. I think it was their seventh. I think it was Middle Tennessee. I think it was Middle Tennessee's seventh game, and it was Rice's first game. So it, it was a bizarre season all the way around. But um, you know, no asterisk for the national champ because they will have deserved it, and I think they've shown that. Ohio State and Alabama, or Alabama and Ohio State, whichever you prefer, are without question the top two teams in the country this year. And Ohio State obviously has answered the question whether they deserve to be in it despite a limited number of games in the regular season. Brett McMurphy is a college football insider for the Stadium Network. Brett, enjoy the national championship, and thank you so much for joining me today on the We Sports Chronicles podcast. Hey, thanks, Lucas. I appreciate it.
Alright, as I said off the top, I am pleased to be joined by Dennis Dodd. Dennis is a college football writer for CBSSports.com, and he joins me on the We Sports Chronicles podcast. Dennis, thanks so much for joining me. Lucas, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Love to be on in Canada. Yeah, likewise. And well, I know you're a big hockey fan, and hockey's uh, the NHL about to start in a few days. So uh, exciting times! Absolutely exciting with my with my Blues, the uh, defending champs, the last team to play a full season. <laughs> the Stanley Cup. So I'm gonna keep that one. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well. Before the NHL uh, season begins, there's going to be a national championship game on Monday night between Alabama Crimson Tide and the Ohio State Buckeyes. Dennis, of course, I mean, we thought it was going to be, you know, it was destined for a collision course between Alabama and Clemson. I'm just curious what what your thoughts are about this uh, fresh matchup between uh, Alabama and Ohio State. I mean, in one way, it's more of the same. Um, you know, only only 12 teams have played for national championship in the seven years of the playoff. Only six have won a game. And two of these teams, the two teams that are meeting are, are two of those teams. They, they met in the, in the semifinals in the first year of 2014. But like a lot of people, I, I thought Clemson would be here instead of Ohio State. And I was one surprised they won, but two surprised by the margin, 21 points. So they completely dismantled Clemson and really got in the face and rattled uh, Trevor Lawrence to the point that he, he was, you know, not much of a weapon throughout that game. And then the good Justin Fields shows up after throw, you know, literally having the worst game of his career against Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship game. Then having the best game of his career. So if you're a betting man, you know, which, which are you going to bet on coming into this? Yeah, I mean, certainly certainly a bit of a, a challenge. And, and I'm just curious for you, Dennis, because you've, you've watched a lot of college football over the course of your career. How would you rate that performance by Justin Fields and the, in the Sugar Bowl? And... How difficult is it to sort of follow up that? Because it was such an emotional game against Clemson, and now there's one more game, which is, of course, the all-important national championship. Yeah, I mean, it was the second-best performance by our quarterback in the playoff era, certainly last year when Joe Burrow threw seven touchdown passes against uh, against Oklahoma and had 400-something yards passing on his way to the Heisman Trophy, that was certainly the best, but this ranks right behind it. Because Justin Fields is efficient as he's done, been, and he does have 77 career touchdowns in basically two years, less than two years of playing. Um, you know, that he's never done anything like that. And frankly, had not had, had not as good a season as he did in 2019, 2019 thrown one interception all season and then threw two in a semifinal against Clemson. Still ended up with 41 touchdowns, three interceptions, and then 10 more on the ground. You know, this year he's kind of clunky. He had, he had two or three interceptions against Indiana in a game that Ohio State just hung on to win. I mentioned Northwestern. And, and Ohio State, 
you know, to talk to them excuses and, and uh, invest by COVID as well. But he just wasn't as good a player. I mean, whether this signals a turnaround, whether he's, you know, headed for the NFL in this sort of bum-rush manner remains to be seen. But if you're an Ohio State fan, you've got to like the way he's playing right now. It looks more like 2019. Obviously, Dennis, this season has just been so unique and, and unprecedented with, with all the challenges related to the pandemic. And I know that both teams in their media availabilities have, have made reference to that. But particularly Ohio State. And, and when you look at the journey that they've been on, certainly the Big Ten being delayed, Justin Fields' advocacy... Just can you maybe elaborate on just the the journey they've been on and just how maybe they're using that as as motivation to, to try to, to finish strong given just the challenges that they've had to overcome just to get to this point? I think it's more an indication of, of what he's become, what he was supposed to become after, you know, being either the first or second recruit in the country, in the class of 2018, and the next best guy, or the best guy is right down the road, Trevor Lawrence, and Joe both from Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things didn't work out at Georgia. Uh, they stuck with uh, with uh, from Jeff Tom, and for his final season, and, and and you know, Justin Fields transferred to Ohio State side unseen, and met with. Ryan Day liked the offense, but after a few days, he was disillusioned and told his dad, you know, I don't know if I could make it here. And his dad famously told him, you better stick it out because this is your last chance. Meaning that you can't be transferring every time you don't like the way things are going. And soon after that, things clicked. He became a leader. I think, you know, what we saw this year with him off the field in the, uh, I guess it was the We Are United movement, uh, for visibility and activism and trying to get players going, be able to let people know they wanted to play through the pandemic, which, I mean, personally, I, you know, that's not news to me. Of course the players want to play and parents want them to play. That's, mm. you know, the other part of that is they shouldn't get a say <laughs> in the worldwide <laughs> pandemic. But, but his leadership skills are admirable. Um, and then to stick with it right up through the Clemson game where he got a tremendous shot to the ribs by James Skalski, the linebacker, and then threw four of those six touchdowns after uh, injuring his ribs to what extent we still don't know, uh, to the point that he was wincing every time he threw the ball. It was that bad. It had to, his own word, had to go in the medical tent and take a shot or two. He got an injection of something so he could finish the game, but all that put together shows you what kind of player and what kind of leader he is to do for this team. You mentioned Ryan Day, the Ohio State head coach, and he, of course, is in the national championship in just his second season with the team. And it's pretty interesting, Dennis, just how this team has sort of evolved since Urban Meyer left and, and sort of consistent with how college football has evolved and becoming more of, of these high-powered, explosive offenses. How how impressive have you been with, with Ryan Day th- thus far, being the head coach of Ohio State and what he's done getting his program with a chance to win a national championship? Well, he literally came out of nowhere. 
kids, he got his chance. Well, I shouldn't say he got his chance. He did in the NFL. In the, in the 2017 semifinals, Clemson beat Ohio State 31 to nothing. Ohio State was favored in the game. Humiliating loss for Ohio State. Urban Meyer makes a decision to retool his pretty much his entire offensive staff. Gets a new offensive coordinator, and Kevin Wilson from Indiana. Well, a little more part of that is it's a 49ers quarterback coach named Ryan Day. And it was a recommendation from Chip Kelly. Urban was close to Chip. Chip said, hey, you got to take a look at this guy. He was my quarterback in college. Ryan Day was a quarterback in New Hampshire. But Chip Kelly was, I believe, his quarterback coach was offensive coordinator. I can't remember which. Um, but that's how they knew each other. And Urban Meyer trusted him enough to bring him in. Well, you can see what he's done with quarterbacks. And then at the beginning of the 2018 season, the 2018 season, there's all that, all those problems with Zach Smith and the controversy with Urban Meyer and uh, Zach Smith abusing his wife, allegedly. And Urban Meyer suspended. I think the surprise was that Gene Smith, the AD just immediately goes to Ryan Day, age 39, as um, the uh, the replacement, the interim coach for three games. And, you know, people didn't even know still who Ryan Day was at that point. Well, they quickly found out he not only, you know, kept them 3-0, and they, they won a big game uh, against TCU at AT&T Stadium, but he called the water. And I remember asking one of their defensive linemen after that game, you know, it's going back to Urban Meyer, um, you know, after that game, how are things going to change? What did Ryan Day do to this team? And he said, that's a great question, because I don't know how we're going to be. Ryan Day calmed this team down. And I think that's what happened when Urban Meyer again retired once again after that season, and there was no hesitation to go to Ryan Day. And here we are, you know, uh, two years later, 23-1 and as the head coach in the playoffs both years and now in the national championship game in his second year as a head coach. I think it's one of the better success stories in college football and college athletics in a while. Moving over to the Alabama side, you recently wrote a story on Crimson Tide running back Najee Harris and any college football fan saw Harris's amazing hurdle in the Rose Bowl. He's been hurdling even, you know, despite Nick Saban not wanting him to hurdle. Harris has been hurdling. I'm just curious for, for you, Dennis, like how how important is a guy like him entering this game? Because, you know, we, we've heard the talk about Devontae Smith, the Heisman winner, rightfully so, and some of the other players. But I feel like, Najee's going to be important for this offense if, if he can continue to showcase that uh, natural athletic ability. I think, I think he's an MVP because as talented as they are, his running ability gives them the balance, if you will, to pull all this off with Devontae Smith and Mac Jones and the high flying offense. It gives it balance where teams can't afford to blitz as much because you've got a guy, you've got a hammer back there. Not only is it elusive and can catch passes, but 
is, is a textbook blocker, which the pros love, and can really hammer you in a run game between the tackles or, or outside. He's a great runner. So I, I think it's that balance that he offers that makes him the MVP. And you're right, it is a great story. I don't know if I told it great, but it is a great story to recount. He's from the mean streets of Antioch, California, which is on the East Bay across from San Francisco. And, and I would say a depressed area. And it, it, it's really maybe the best. You know, he is the best athlete ever to come out of there. Uh, a town of uh, about 112,000 people. Um, and it's been a source of pride, admiration, and he has not disappointed the people there. He, Growing up, he was so well-known in high school, one of the local gang members pulled up to him in a car late one night, said, hey, do not hear He kind of goes, well, yeah. And he goes, I just want to tell you something. You're never going to have to worry about anything. You're going to be safe around here. <laughs> in other words, he was going to be taken care of. Nobody was going to take a shot at him. And, uh, you know, it shook him up at the time. But looking back, it was a, it was a sign of respect that few players get like that. Uh, I, 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 in many ways, I think he's underrated. He's the fourth leading rusher in the state of California history. Uh, that's saying something in the, you know, what, the most populated state in the country that plays incredible high school sports. Uh, it, when he was a senior at Antioch High School, the San Francisco Chronicle expended huge amounts of resources and did a six-part series on his recruitment that they ran different days. I counted it up. I think it was 56 pages that I printed out. This is on an 18-year-old senior. Uh, so you can tell what you know what his value was, how large, how well he was regarded back then. And there's been just so many, you know, so many instances of him at Alabama where it could have gone the wrong way. Kind of dissatisfied as a freshman, wasn't getting enough carries. And Nick Saban turns to him at halftime of the championship game, they're down 13 to nothing to Georgia. He had provided an immediate spark. I think runs for 65 yards that game, and they win that game famously in overtime with the pass from Tua Tagovailoa to Devontae Smith. But they don't even get to that point until Najee Smith, you know, makes that run for runs for 65 yards in the second half and overtime. And you saw the promise of what he could do as as a junior. He decided to stay. Mm-hmm. He ran for 1,200 yards, could have gone out, you know, probably should have gone out. We don't know that. Um, but I think his grade in retrospect is like a third-round grade. Even now, a high second-round grade could be the first back taken. Because, look, just right now, running backs in, in general aren't regarded as higher as other positions. And that's why the first running back off the board might be in the second round, but but look, to be that as May, he comes back, and Nick Saban usually makes the right call with these guys. They talk him into coming back. Look what he's done. He's not only improved his draft stock, he's improved himself as a player, and you know it's been historical. Two players among the finalists, tonight, Mac, Mac Jones and Devontae Smith, the fifth leading vote getter, the guy that didn't get invited, is not here. You know, yep. he runs for 1,700 yards and scores 20 touchdowns. By the way, 20 touchdowns rushing. Devontae Smith, 20 touchdowns receiving. <laughs> the first time that's ever happened 
across his teammates in, uh, in NCAA football. And, and just a great kid. Uh, unfortunately, Lucas, within the, the Alabama bubble, we don't get to see much of the personality of these guys. It's very closed. Mm. You know, what you saw is what I saw this week in that Zoom. Uh, it had, had times been normal, I would have got to sit down with him on campus this year. But I think he's got a lot more to give. I think I think he's going to be a real star in life. I think he's got a personality that's marketable. Obviously, his talent is good. But he's going to be something more than a running back in the National Football League. I just have that sense. Well, that's a great answer. And I just think it just shows you two things. One, again, Nick Saban talked about it this week. Where, I mean, guys, I mean, they stay behind to try to increase their value in the draft. And as you say, Nick Saban certainly knows what it takes in these guys to improve. And it also just shows Alabama's ability to A, evolve from being that vaunted defense of the early 2010s to now being a really explosive offense. But also recruit guys, not just homegrown, but in different states, you know, very far from Alabama. Yeah, oh, that's, I mean, that's, that's a story still to be done that the likes of Clemson and Alabama, there have been others, are now regularly regularly leaving the West Coast for uh, other better programs. Part of it is the Pac-12 has just been diminished in stature. Uh, the other part is more aggressive recruiting. But think about this, Alabama has Najee Harris, maybe the best running back in the country. Uh, Clemson's quarterback next year is going to be DJ Luangalele from Southern California, who, who beat Notre Dame as a freshman this year, uh, was the number one recruit in the class of 2020. Alabama's next quarterback next year is Bryce Young, who was among the leaders in that class of 2020. He's from he's from a few miles away from uh, DJ Luangalele's high school, and and there are others. Um, it's it's bad for the Pac-12, and it's really really good for these other schools that have schools like Alabama and Clemson, which basically have separated themselves from everybody else. Uh, you, can, you can throw Ohio State in there as well. There used to be Power Five, Group of Five. Now it's those three schools versus everybody else, and no one's getting really close right now because of this subject we're talking about. So. And I should mention, too, and too, technically a West Coast guy, mm-hmm. but I, I can't remember Alabama going to Hawaii to get a player ever. They not only got a player, but a transformative player made the best in their history. Last question for you, Dennis. I mean, we've had, we've had a lot of kills this year, a lot of blowout games. Are we in for a close national championship game? Do you see Ohio State? figuring out Alabama, or do you think this is, you know, Alabama's just too good? I think this is going to be close, because the number is seven and a half, and I think that's probably what it'll be around either way. Uh, I think it'll be close because Ohio State suddenly has the firepower to win a shootout with Alabama, and really that's the only way to beat it right now. You saw the Mississippi game early, I think Alabama trailed at halftime, or maybe they slightly ahead, but won by 15 points, but gave up 48. Uh, you saw a Florida game, which went right down to the wire. To beat Alabama, you first have to have the offensive ability 
to match up with them. And Nick Saban said it earlier this season. He said offense, basically said offense wins championships. Never thought I'd hear him say the word, but he did. And he built a powerhouse in that respect. So I think Ohio State, given what they've done lately with Jefferson Fields and Trey Sermon, Trey Sermon, the running back, has run for 523 yards the last two games. That's more than seven teams have done all season. Uh, they've involved the tight end more. They've got elite receivers and uh, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. So I think this becomes a back and forth game where both teams are in the 40s. And I'm still I'm still picking Alabama, but I think it's going to be one heck of a game because of that. I think they're going to be able to stay close. Dennis Dodd is a college football writer for CBS Sports. Dennis, thanks so much for ch- taking the time. Enjoy the national championship, and I appreciate you coming on the We Sports Chronicles podcast. Lucas, thanks so much. It was an honor. Thank you.